Welcome back to the Locked On Marlins podcast. Hope you all had a great weekend. It's hard to believe that we are already 17 days out from opening day. It has really crept up on us here. Spring training already getting close to winding down. And it's been a very eventful spring training for the Marlins so far. A lot of young players stepping up, impressing, including Monte Harrison, Jazz Chisholm, Gerard Encarnacion have all looked great. Lewis Brinson has looked really good. He is someone I'm going to talk about a lot in the first half of this podcast and why his spring training performance this year is different than performances in the past. And then I'm going to answer a lot of questions that were sent in in regards to specific Marlins prospects and some of the MLB players this upcoming season. So going into Brinson, I know what most of you are already going to say is we've seen this before, right? He's this Mr. March. He's great in spring training. I'm not going to believe anything until I see it in the regular season. You have every reason to feel that way. And I'm not saying that Lewis Brinson is going to come out and shock the world this upcoming season. But there is something different about this spring training than previous spring trainings, especially last year. Last year's performance was not as good as people are making it out to be in terms of his spring training. I think it was pretty indicative of what was going to be a poor season. Maybe not that poor, but he was not getting on base, not walking at all, and he was striking out a lot. So when people talk about those two spring trainings with the Marlins where Lewis Brinson looked like a superstar just to disappoint them in the regular season, it's fair to say that they don't trust his performance right now. I'm not saying you should totally trust his performance right now, but let me tell you why it's a little bit different. 58 at-bats in 2018, he struck out 17 times. That led the entire team in spring training. That was back in 2018. 2019, 54 at-bats, 18 strikeouts. It's an even worse clip. That was second on the team to only Peter O'Brien, the king of strikeouts himself. Now this year, 25 at-bats, he has only punched out twice. To me, it's a small sample size, of course, but that is not a fluke. That is a big difference in terms of approach, adjustments that he's made. From 2018 to 2019, there weren't many adjustments made, and you can see it through the spring training stats and, of course, the regular season stats in his stint in the major leagues. But this year, he's cut down on that leg kick. He has shortened up, and there's a lot less movement in his swing, and you see it by the only two strikeouts and 25 at-bats. There's a lot of statistical anomalies where when it's a small sample size, you can look at things like BABIP or other types of statistics to kind of rationalize the fact that what you're seeing in those numbers and maybe a small sample size is a flash in the pan. But when it comes to strikeouts, it's pretty hard for that to be a fluke. At the end of the day, if you're a hitter that strikes out a lot, you're always going to strike out a decent amount. Even if you are on fire, you're on a tear, you're on a hitting streak, hitters like that still strike out at usually a more than average rate, even when they're going well. I'm not saying you can expect Lewis Brinson to only strike out 4% of the time, which is what he's doing right now in spring training, but the fact that he has improved so much in terms of his strikeouts, albeit a small sample size again, that has to be something that is more encouraging than the previous two spring trainings. The other thing I want to say about Lewis Brinson that's been bothering me for a little bit, I understand the frustration with Lewis Brinson, especially given the fact that he came over in a trade for an MVP that is one of the best players in the game. Of course, that is frustrating. Lewis Brinson has been a massive disappointment. There is no way around it. Brinson is one of the great guys in that clubhouse. He is a very good person. He has 
been nothing but positive throughout the entire process. And I'm not saying that gives him a pass for his bad performance, but I see a lot of people just constantly knocking the kid down. I can understand your frustration with him, but if you don't want to see Lewis Brinson succeed, then I don't know if you're even a Marlins fan at that point. I can understand if you don't think he'll succeed, but you should want him to succeed. There's no reason for a South Florida kid that came over in a big trade for the Marlins has been nothing but positive throughout all of his struggles. There's no reason for anybody to not want him to do well. That being said, I know already that my defending of Lewis Brinson will probably merit some responses in terms of just give it up. He does this every spring training, blah, blah, blah. I get it. And there's a good chance that he could come out this year and not be good. I fully accept that. But what I'm trying to tell you is that I do think there is a chance that this is different. And I'm pretty cynical when it comes to Marlins prospects and Marlins players that have underperformed if I think that they cannot get out of it. For a while, I didn't think Lewis Brinson could get out of it. Honestly, I thought the experiment was over. But when I'm looking at these numbers now and the tangible adjustments that he's made, it gives me reason to believe that he can be somewhat productive. I'm not saying he's going to reach his ceiling. I think that ceiling has been tempered down a decent amount. But at the end of the day, with his defensive ability, his speed, he doesn't need to be a 30-30 player to be a positive player and a multi-win player in the MLB. You will get guys like Byron Buxton, who obviously has not been able to stay healthy, but when he's on the field, he's a 250 hitter that'll hit 18 to 25 home runs maximum, but he's still a three to four win player given his ability to steal bases, to play gold glove caliber defense, and to just make a difference in on the base paths, take the extra base and do all the little things. So Lewis Brinson does not need to be a 300 hitter like he was in AAA at times with 30 home runs. If he is a 250 hitter that isn't striking out more than 150 times and is able to still knock 20 to 25 home runs, which I do think he has that and more still in him, that is going to be a productive MLB player. So the fact that he is not going to reach that lofty ceiling does not mean that he can't reach at least a somewhat reasonable floor where he is a contributor in the big leagues. If he cuts down on the strikeouts, which he has, that solves a big portion of the problem. So the glove has never been the question. He is a premier defender with a good arm and a lot of speed to cover all parts of the outfield, can man center field where you don't have to worry as much about the power production with the center fielder normally in terms of what you want from your corner outfielders. So there's a lot of things that can keep Brinson afloat in his career. And one last point I want to make back on the strikeouts because it is really tough to gauge on only 25 at-bats, but one thing I will say is if you think that it's, oh, he's facing worse competition, a lot of players that are used to big league pitching don't strike out that much in spring training. While that might be true, there is only one player with less than three strikeouts other than Lewis Brinson in more than 20 at-bats this spring, and it's Garrett Cooper. So the fact that Lewis Brinson and Garrett Cooper are the only two players that have struck out less than three times with more than 20 at-bats as a sample size, that has to mean something because Garrett Cooper is one of the better hitters in terms of approach, in terms of not striking out at a high rate, and in terms of working at-bats, he is a very advanced, mature uh, approach to the game of baseball. So the fact that he is right there with Garrett Cooper is Lewis Brinson, that has to mean something, and that has to be 
at least encouraging to a degree, I think it's more encouraging than anything he's done in spring training in the past, because this is what's more important to look at in terms of what translates to the regular season. But here's the other issue. Who does Lewis Brinson take at-bats from? Right now, as it looks, just mentioned Garrett Cooper. He belongs in the lineup day in and day out right now, and I don't think anybody disagrees with that. In terms of what the Marlins are going to do with Brian Anderson and Jonathan VR, I think that is directly affected by Aizen Diaz. And right now, Diaz is struggling mightily in spring training. But I'm going to play the devil's advocate here. If you're going to take Lewis Brinson's performance with a grain of salt, you probably have to take Aizen Diaz's struggles with a grain of salt. At the same time, his struggles are with the punch out. He leads the team right now in K's with eight. And that's an issue, obviously, as it was an issue in his stint in the bigs last year. So with Eisen, there's no rush for him. Of course, you would love to have him on the opening day roster at this point. He's ready to probably be a major leaguer defensively. He seemed like he was ready with his numbers in the PCL last year. But we did see a lot of offensive boosts with the new baseball and the elevation out there. And that sparked some skepticism in terms of Eisen Diaz's production. I still think he's a major league second baseman, but that doesn't mean he has to be a major league second baseman in 17 days. So maybe Lewis Brinson should get the opportunity come opening day. It seems like he's earned it. You need to reward him. He's earned himself one last chance. So right now, the way I would do it is start Eisen Diaz off in AAA. Let him build up some more confidence again, because right now he's just going off of a bad end to the regular season in major in the major leagues last year, and then a bad spring right now going into the regular season. Let him go back down to AAA, get some confidence, and come back up. And at that point, you can gauge what the deal is with Lewis Brinson. But Lewis Brinson has earned himself one last crack, and I think that he could be different. I'm not saying he will be, but he has earned himself one last chance to show you what he can do and to at least... It's do or die for him at this point, and he's either going to sink or swim, but at this point, Aizen Diaz has a lot more opportunities. There's not as much pressure on him. It's not as pressing, and especially with the Marlins prospects, outfield prospects, coming up through the system and the amount of decisions that the Marlins have to make in terms of where to put Jonathan VR, where to put Brian Anderson, it's best to just see what you have with Lewis Brinson now and then assess the future after that because You have to figure out if Lewis Brinson is a part of that future moving forward, and you will find that out within the first month of this season. So Lewis Brinson, one last chance for him this coming season. I think he has earned it, and we'll see what he can do. But at the end of the day, we all should be rooting for him. He has worked very hard. He is continuing to remain positive, and it would be a nice story to see him bounce back and have a nice year this year. But of course, I'm not going to hold my breath and I'm bracing for the worst, but he has given me a little glimmer of hope that this could be different and that's enough to get him a chance this upcoming season. So on the other side of the break, I'm going to answer some questions that we had tweeted in, emailed in, a lot of really good questions and interesting topics that I'm excited to talk about. If you've been a listener of this podcast, I'm sure you've heard all the great advertisers working with Locked On to reach sports fans. But you may not know that Locked On Marlins is a great way for your local business to reach passionate Marlins fans just like you. Unlike any other podcast, Locked On gives your local company the unique ability to reach local podcast listeners. 
not any podcast listener, a Locked On podcast listener. If your company wants to connect with Miami Marlins fans in a predominantly male audience that is well-educated with disposable income, then let's put your company right here on this Locked On Marlins podcast. Local fans love to support local businesses. Text the word ADVERTISING to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcast.com backslash advertising and let us know who you are. We'll get our team to help your team achieve Locked On advertising success. Once again, text the word ADVERTISING to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcast.com backslash advertising. We look forward to hearing from you. So two players I got a lot of questions about, and two players I've actually questioned a lot myself and done a lot of research on, are J.D. Orr and Luis Palacios. Both of them have shown an ability to put up great numbers, one as a pitcher, the other as an outfielder, but both can be questioned in a few different ways, in two very different ways, but both have some question marks in terms of where they are putting up those numbers and whether they are sustainable and whether you can take them with a grain of salt or whether you should think that those numbers can translate to higher levels. So I'll start with J.D. Orr because he'll be a little bit shorter in terms of what I'm going to talk about with him. A teammate of Peyton Burdick's, so the same kind of questions of what kind of competition was he facing, how much can you take those numbers at Wright State and apply them to his ability to hit in professional baseball. Well, he went to Batavia and put up really good numbers there, hit well over 300, was just a hitting machine, swiped over 20 bags. So he continued to do what he did in college. But the thing with J.D. Orr is, and, and all college baseball players that start their career at low A, is you kind of expect them to feast there because they have been facing that level of pitching. Low A in college pitching is pretty comparable, but I would say it is a step up from right state. So for him, that was... Still, of course, there's no way to spin it. The numbers he put up were phenomenal. With J.D. Orr, I think the floor is higher than a lot of people make it out to be. With his speed, he has plus speed, a great defender, a a meh arm, but good enough that it will do in center field or if he needed to play the corners, he could. And he's an elite base stealer. He stole 60 bags in his senior season, which is just one of the top in the country. And then did the same thing in pro ball in Batavia, stealing 20 bags and not that many games. So for, for J.D. Orr, his ability to be versatile, play in the outfield, speedy, and hits for average at least, the power is never going to be there. So that's the one thing with him. He's not going to be producing a lot of runs or hitting for a high slugging percentage. But the thing with J.D. Orr is that he's going to have the hit tool I think the hit tool will continue to translate through the levels, upper levels of professional baseball. He almost always walked more than he struck out. Uh, That's something that, of course, you love to see from a hitter, especially a speedy hitter that's not going to hit for power. His senior year, he walked 46 times and only punched out 25 times. And then in Batavia, he walked 44 times and only punched out 30. So those are things that you love to see from a speedy, potentially top-of-the-order type of hitter. And the fact that he does walk a decent amount for a speedster with no power threat is another thing that's encouraging. He works deep into counts. He 
projects as a top of the order type of hitter. Will he be productive enough for his bat to translate at the highest level? I don't know about that, but with JD Orr, I think the floor is pretty high. He projects to me as a fourth outfielder that can spot start at the top of your order in the major leagues. And seeing him now go through the higher levels to see if that hit tool continues to sustain, that's going to be the big question. But so far, he has given no reason to believe that he cannot continue to put up high batting averages and steal a lot of bags, which with good defense will always keep him in a fourth outfield spot. So we'll see what J.D. Orr has going forward, where the Marlins will decide to assign him, and he will prove a lot this coming season. But the guy that I am most excited for is Luis Palacios. Palacios is another type of prospect where you don't have a lot of info on that guy. He pitched in the Dominican League where he put up some great numbers, but again, there's just not much video from there. You don't really know what kind of level of competition there is out there, but then he goes to the Gulf Coast League, which is still not really the best gauge in terms of how a pitcher is doing, but he was phenomenal in the Gulf Coast League at only 18, just turning 19 years old. He only walked two batters in 40 innings. I don't care if he's pitching to a cardboard box in the batter's box. If you are not walking more than two batters in 40 innings, even throwing a bullpen in terms of how many balls you're throwing, that is a really good command from a teenager. The fact that he is low to mid 90s already as a Six foot two left-handed pitcher that has more room to fill out. That is, a, he has a loose arm action that makes you think he has room for more velocity and a nice changeup that sits from the high 80s to touching 90. And the big key for him is can he get that sweeping slider because he has a three-quarter arm angle from the videos that I've seen. That could be a wipeout pitch to left-handed hitters. But right now he's only 19 years old and he already has what seems to be very, very good command, well above average command for such a young pitcher. And what I'll say about these numbers is, yeah, it's tough to take numbers from a teenager in the Dominican League and then the Gulf Coast League to take those numbers seriously, but the competition in the GCL is still better, or at least as good as Division One college baseball, right? And if Luis Palacios was putting up th- these numbers pretty much at any Division One conference in the United States as a southpaw, I think we would all want that guy drafted in the first round. So what it looks like right now is Palacios is a first-round talent. If he was a college pitcher right now, he would be at the top of most draft boards if he was putting up those numbers in Division One baseball. So for me, with those numbers in the GCL, the command, the good strikeout rate, more than a strikeout in inning, and the projectability on Palacios, the sky is the limit. We just don't know yet. So seeing his first professional season, which will likely be in Batavia, I am so eager to watch this guy because it seems like he could be everything. But again, you just don't know with these types of players. There's so many international signings made pretty much from a month-to-month basis on players that the Marlins probably are high on that you might not even hear about at some points that end up not really working out, but then you have the Gerard Encarnaciones that are discovered by accident and end up being top 15 to top 20 prospects in the system. So it works both ways, but with Palacios right now, the Marlins may have found a gem and he looks like he can continue to project into something very, very special. I am very eager to see what he can do 
there is every reason to be excited about this kid. It's beyond just the numbers. It's the tools. It's the pitches that he has. The fact that he's a lefty, a funky arm slot, nice mechanics, and already elite command. He has the recipe to be a potential major leaguer. So let's see how Palacios develops now into his first professional season this upcoming year. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. I'm going to do more prospect previews finishing out the top 30 coming up soon and we'll start talking about the major league team a little bit more too as we get closer to the big league season just out over two weeks out please be sure to rate and subscribe let me know if there's anything you'd like me to do like me to cover in the podcast always looking for feedback thank you as always for listening and i look forward to talking to you guys tomorrow